0: Welcome to The Things That Made England, uh, with me, Luke Baxter, and uh, Royfield Brown. Say hello, Royfield. Hello. This is the podcast where we discuss things that we think have made a contribution to making the country of England. And today, I will be proposing a thing, and this thing will be public schools. Does that get you going, Royfield, the thought of discussing public schools? Uh, th- th- <laughs> The
1: honest answer is, if you want, if you want to raise my working class hackles and make me come out with a whole load of class-based arguments against it, well, yes, it's getting me very exercised and very excited. But uh, <laughs> but I, I appreciate that there's probably another dimension or two to the hallowed institution that is the the English public school.
0: Well, let's find out.
2: It was the best of times. It was the worst of times.
0: She was the people's princess. We shall fight on the beaches. Away, oh, man. These are the things that made
3: England. We shall fight on the landing ground.
4: These are the things that made I England. Have a body, but of a weak and feeble woman.
3: These are the things that made England. And
4: a king of England, too.
2: These are the things that made England.
3: Cry God for Harry!
4: And these are the things that made England. England
1: and St. George!
2: These are the things that made England.
0: So I suppose we need to start with a clarification for our overseas listeners uh, about what exactly a public school is. Because um, a public school is not what an American might imagine. It's a bit like the fact that neither Jaffa Cakes nor Cheesecakes are cakes. Public schools are not public. (laughs) (laughs) They are in fact private, very private in some cases. Sorry, that was a bit of clickbait for the uh, Facebook group who like discussing Jaffa Cakes and Cheesecake. Uh, Luke, yeah.
1: why did they get the label public schools, considering oh, yeah. they're anything
0: but? Yeah, well, that's a, yeah, it's obviously a very good question. Um, and you know, it's not just because we tend to like to do things in a contrary way in England. Um, it's because, well, in their origins, they, uh, they, in the sort of 14th and 15th century, they were public um, they because they were independent, they weren't re- uh, part of a religious institution, and they were open to anyone. Well, anyone who could pay. <laughs> um, and in those days, if you were sort of proper posh, um, you didn't send your kids to school at all, you had a private tutor. So, you know, the public schools were for that sort of emerging uh, middle class, um, who obviously, you know, quite well-moneyed, the trading classes... Um, and, you know, who who wanted their, their children to uh, get a proper education. Um, and so there are some schools that, you know, would now be considered public schools, uh, which are a lot olden- older than the 14th or 15th century I just mentioned. You know, like King's Canterbury School was founded in 597. Um, which what? is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. 597. Yeah. I know. Yeah, so much for the dark ages. <laughs> um so (laughs) you know and so that would have been a religious school and it was obviously a school that would have been associated to uh the cathedral um and i think Mm -hmm. it still is um and uh but in in the 14th and 15th century this new type of school started to spring up and the most famous of all is of course eton college Mm -hmm. um you'll have heard of eton college uh, d- d- once or twice, I, I quite like their <laughs> puddings. I like I like an eaten yes, mess. Yes, well, you know, apparently that is a uh, the story behind that was one of my mum's stories. But apparently, some guy was taking strawberries and cream and um, meringues separately to a picnic, and had a car accident, mm-hmm. and they all got smashed up together, and that's how they got the eaten mess. He was on his way to ah, yeah, he was on his way to eat them. Eat them at eat on. (laughs) Nah. (laughs) Yeah. So what is a public school? It's, you know, it's not just a private school. Um, All public schools are private, but not all private schools are public schools, which is a bit weird. So they are generally for the ages of 13 to 18. um, And before that, uh, there are also prep schools which, again, I think are a bit Mm. different from what an American prep school is. I think American prep schools are for older children. But prep schools in Britain are for ages 7 to 8 to 13. So I'm going to look at some specific things which I really think make the case for public schools going into our cabinet of things that made England. Um, I'm going to mention the fact that they are mainly boarding schools. Um, Their influence Mm. on our political life and also our literature and popular culture and sport. Then I'll try to address whether they are specifically English or could be considered British. Um, And I'll try and speak about uh, my own experience a little, but I think we've actually got um, a message from Fiona, which would be a lot more interesting than what I have to say. Um, And then I think we should discuss some of the more questionable sides of these schools, like the fact that they are extremely expensive um, and that they've still got uh, charitable status, um, and Royfield, of course, I'm confident mm. that you'll be chipping in with your own thoughts on what the schools look like from the outside. Yes. well, <laughs> I would
1: say there is another contribution um, that they've actually made is that the, the, kind of the, the obvious one for me is a there is a kind of sense of entitlement that mm. uh, not not everybody, but goes along with a certain type of person that has, has gone to a, a public school. But then also, from a, a wider historical sense, they've helped with the kind of standardization of uh, the language, the accent of the ruling class as well. Yep. Yeah, you know, The BBC plays a role as well, but also kind of public schools. So those are just a couple of things off the top of my, my head. But anyway, yeah. sir, th- this is your no, show. You know all about the, the, this institution.
0: <laughs> Having been to one to my, myself. <laughs> yeah, but I think the accent thing is something mm-hmm. that I think is very interesting. And I think that's part of what I'm about to speak about, which is the, the, the fact that they're boarding schools is that, you know, kids from mm-hmm. Yorkshire, Wales, Somerset, um, Oxfordshire are all thrown together. And so they're obviously going to sort of, the accent's going to level out. And so I think that's why the sort of upper classes in, in England have uh, one accent. Whereas, you know, in Spain, for example, that's not the same. Um, you know, posh mm-hmm. people from Seville sound different to posh people from Madrid. But in England, they all have pretty much the same. Um, so, yeah, so public schools are generally boarding schools. Um, and in fact, even, uh, most prep schools are boarding schools too. Um, and I think this is one of the things that makes this type of school a uniquely British institution. Um, to most other Europeans, packing your darling tots off to school at the age of seven is tantamount to child cruelty. Um, Spain and France do have internados or internat. Uh, but these are essentially correctional facilities for troubled children, and not really where the great and the good <laughs> <laughs> choose to send their beloveds. So what do you think about that? How does that sound to, to you know send your children off at the age of seven to to board? Because I think that is quite weird it It does sound very very weird, and
1: there is something about you you always read about Definitely with boarding schools in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, etc., that they these were cold, austere yeah. places which did border on a prison of which called you know just around the corner there was a fag around another corner and I don't mean one that you that you smoked and then around the other corner there was a beating or a thrashing uh, to yeah. be had yeah. and uh with with cold wool to be eaten, you know. <laughs> so, um And I've always been somewhat surprised. Bearing in mind I haven't thought about this an awful lot. So I'm gonna I'm holding my hands up here, right? That the French, it's the opposite way around. If you if you have to pay for an education, something's gone wrong as far as the French are concerned.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is quite great, isn't it? Really? Yeah, well, it's
1: kind of the way it should be, surely. But anyway, um, as I said, I'm just merely somebody throwing the odd little stone into your public school uh, greenhouse. So so, uh, why don't you continue and and I'll (laughs) chime in as of when I see fit.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I was both a fag and uh, was beaten at school. Um, so, just just for clarification again, a fag in this context is, is when um, a younger boy is basically the sort of servant of an older boy. There's nothing. Um, mm. well, there shouldn't be anything dodgy about it. Um, and uh, yeah, and yeah, I was beaten a few times at, at prep school. You know, before the age of thirteen. Not not at, at my public school. Um, I think that is now. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. Mm. <laughs> Partly because it's illegal. <laughs> not, not, by, not by the masters anyway. Not by the masters anyway, yeah. It is quite mad, really. Um, and so, you know, the public school, and I think this is something that really makes it sort of English or British, whatever, um, has been exported across the British Empire. And public schools can be found in most Commonwealth countries, as well as countries that are part of, you know, the informal empire, like Argentina. Argentina has St. Leonard's, the Irish one, St. Andrew's, the Scottish one, and St. George's, the English one. Um, and that's why, you know, in, in Argentina, they play cricket and they play rugby. And they, you know, they play rugby to a very high level. I spent a year in Argentina as a private tutor teaching an Austrian boy English so that he could attend one of these schools. They wanted someone who'd come from that background so that I could teach him not only the language, but also the ethos of that type of education he's now turned into a gaucho. So I don't think it worked that very well. <laughs> well. He's very cool. Um, yeah. So the, the other thing I think that, that is um, very important about, you know, the way uh, public schools have made England is the, the, the influence that it's had on the political life of our nation.
1: When you say influence, do you mean the dead in, dead in hand of a stranglehold that it's had on our political life?
0: Exactly. That's what you meant,
1: wasn't it? Okay, just just checking.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't express it quite so eloquently. (laughs) Well, no, but it is. I mean, it's it's quite terrifying. Is it? You know, I think we've had seventy six prime ministers. Twenty went to Mm -hmm. Eton, seven went to Harrow, and seven went to Westminster. So over half of our prime ministers went to three schools, and of course, um, just in you know, it's and it's not. We're not talking about ancient history two of the last three prime ministers went to Eton, including the current one, but we won't go there.
1: Well, um, I I think it's something which I remark upon all all the time, but if you look at just about every other major Western uh, democracy, its leaders uh, can come from many different places. And if you use America as... As an example, yes, um, there is Harvard and there are the Ivy League universities over Mm. there. But there's many an American president, you know, has got to high office without going to Harvard. And also because of the decentralised nation of the American political structure, you can be the governor of Idaho, you can be um, a state senator in Wyoming, Etc. Yeah. means that there isn't this funnel that there is with the British political life, yeah. you know, that invariably if you go to uh, one of your fa- uh, fabled uh, public schools, you know, you're kind of halfway there getting a chance of being prime minister, you know, <laughs> just, just if you go there and then there is the route that you then take afterwards. But anyway, yeah. uh, you, you, were, you, you were telling me um, about, um, you were telling me in more detail about... Uh, the fact that all of our prime ministers go to these institutions, quite all have been, shall yeah. we
0: say. Because, I mean, that's one of the, you know, the things about um, Maggie Thatcher. It wasn't just that she was a woman that made her different to a, a normal Tory uh, prime minister. It was also that she'd gone mm-hmm. to grammar school and not a private school, um, as did Theresa May, I think. But, um, you know, I mean, even the Labour Party, uh, Tony Blair went to Fetty's, which is a Scottish public school,
1: just to ask from the Scottish uh, public schools, yeah. do the kids there speak with what would, we would actually class as an English accent?
0: Um, no. I mean, my cousin went to Fetty's as well, um, and he has definitely got mm-hmm. a Scottish accent, and he's definitely very Scottish. But, you know, Gordonston. Um, which is where Prince Charles oh, went, gosh. and that's a, another Scottish one. And that is, I mean, that's meant to be really, really harsh. And that, you know, they, I, I, I don't know them all, but, you know, they've definitely got a, well, Prince Charles type accent. Um, but yes, yeah, so I don't know. So I don't know, you know, what the numbers are, whether, how many English people there are in Scottish public schools. There are definitely quite a lot mm. of Scottish people in English public schools, and they would tend to have more of a, uh, an English-sounding accent or one of that upper-class accent that we were talking about earlier. Um, they you know, wouldn't tend to, to sound very Scottish.
1: There's, um, have you watched the, the Crown? No. I must admit, I'm a massive fan of The Crown, <laughs> and Gordon's does not come out of it well at all. So you've got Prince Philip going there in the 1930s. Yeah. Um, and just how harsh it was. But he kind of thrived on it. And then yeah. you got Charles going there, and he absolutely didn't. And yeah. you know, he tried to do all the things that his father did, and just didn't succeed. But yes, it was a very austere place. Horrible, yeah. By, yeah, by, yeah. by, all, by all accounts,
0: yeah, yeah it has got a really terrifying reputation. Uh, yeah, no, it, the sorry, I'm a bit of a Republican to be watching the the Crown, <laughs> um, but no, my wife enjoys it very much. <laughs> I think another way that you can see the influence of this type of school is how prevalent it is in sort of literature and popular culture um there's a very famous book called tom brown's school days which i admit that i haven't read um have you it's, no, no 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 it's um meant to be a, a an iconic tale of public school life um it's where you know the the, the flashman novels um i know of them so. yeah which are brilliant they are very very funny but flashman was a character mm-hmm. in the original tom brown schoolboy school days and the the author who wrote the flashman books basically took this character out of out of one lot of one novel and then he's remade him as a character in his own uh, series of novels They are very very good he's the bully at of uh, tom brown um and we've got some weird family connection with the story but um, I can't remember what it is um Harry Potter. Now, you see, I think um, this series of books and films is, you know, Hogwarts is basically an English public school. Um, they have dorms, they have houses, they have weird sports. Um, they wear gowns. Uh, I used to have a wear a gown at my school. Um, and, and so now, you know, the, the, the world uh, has a really clear idea of one type of English school. And probably, you know, have a slight skewed idea of English schools because of, of Harry Potter. Um, uh, then there's also like films. Of, well, there's, there's the St. Trinian stories, um, or Mallory Towers. There's, you know, there are loads of, of um, examples of public schools in in sort of popular literature. Mm. Um Lots of important authors went to public school, just again, looking at just Eton. uh, We had uh, Ian Fleming, Aldous Huxley, George Orwell, um, who, um, you know, quite surprisingly, uh, considering his politics, it was, uh, went to Eton as well. Um, And again, um, a whole load of uh, the sort of best British actors of our day are old Etonians, and most of them are better at playing Americans than most Americans. Um, got Damien <laughs> Le, yeah, They all seem to pop up like Damien Lewis, Tom Hiddleston, Dominic West, mm-hmm. Eddie Redmayne, Hugh Laurie, um, who did House, which, you know, he's meant to be mm. an American in that. Um, and so, yeah, the, the other thing is sports. Um, you know, I think that the, the sporting ethos at public schools is massively important. Um, and probably contributed to the influence of British originated sports being exported across the globe. Most obviously rugby, like I mentioned with Argentina, uh, which was invented supposedly at rugby school. When a schoolboy during a ga- game of football just picked up the ball and ran with it, <laughs> which is quite odd. Um, and obviously American football is just a poor imitation of rugby that just takes a bit longer. And the players have to wear full body armor because they aren't hard enough. Um, Sorry, I'm just trying to wind up our. You, 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 you,
1: well, no, on. no, no. Uh, listen, as a Brit who's very much into
0: American football, I really you can't not. say that, sir. You really can't. You really it's can't. Just, it's no. It's just organised rugby. No. <laughs> but, yeah, but essentially, public schools invented American football Is the main po- takeaway point from that discussion, I think. Um, and going back to, well, more sports, you know. But,
1: but it's not, not, not even just that, though. I I would say there is another thing which public schools have given us is um, the code of Victorian sport was very much around being an amateur, wasn't it? And that comes all out of public school, not being paid to play. So exactly that Corinthian spirit, which really was a way for the upper class um, to maintain their grip and their hold yeah. on sport and not have the working class come in. Okay? Yeah. So, and there's a great example, if you want to watch that at the moment, of the English game. Is that really good? Uh, which is on Netflix at the moment. Yeah. It's watchable. It's, it's right, very watchable. Right. And as a historical um, mirror to the times, I think it's very good. So it's a start of professionalism in yeah. football. In yeah. the 1870s, and how the Football Association and uh, etc. is is run by old Etonians by public school yeah. boys, and they say uh, you cannot pay to play; you have to be an amateur. And of course, you know all the working class like, but you can afford to do this because you all got great jobs. Yeah. You know, we cannot afford. Uh, you know, we all work in factories, etc. We can't afford to play. We need to be paid to play, yeah. and that's at the the very tension of um, of yeah. the, the birth of football. But it goes into the whole spirit of gentlemen and players in cricket, cricket as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The split between rugby union and rugby league, and it all comes from it all comes from that uh, public schoolboy ethos yeah. of. We're apparently just doing this for a bit of a jape and a laugh. Yeah. But actually, uh, we, we've got great jobs, so we can afford uh, to do this, whilst you can't.
0: Great jobs and private money as well, probably. <laughs> that that, that's helps.
1: exactly really yeah. what I meant. Yes. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, I not uh, a, a great you didn't have source, a job at a great all. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> Owning half of London or something. Mm. Um, well, yes, I mean, the, talk about the sort of sporting ethos, the, the Duke of Wellington supposedly said that the Battle of Waterloo was won on the playing fields of Eton. Um, and like most great quotes, that was probably not mm. what he actually said, <laughs> but it did make for a good soundbite. Um, but his point being that the kind of uh, camaraderie engendered on these playing fields was key to the victory over Napoleon.
2: By J. Lampada, the torch of life, there's a breathless hush in the close tonight. Ten to make and the match to win. A bumping pitch and a blinding light. An hour to play and the last man in. And it's not for the sake of a ribbon coat or the selfish hope of a season's fame. But his captain's hand on his shoulder smoked. Play up, play up and play the game. The sand of the desert is sodden red. Red with the wreck of a square that broke. The Gatling's gemmed, and the Colonel dead, and the regiment blind with dust and smoke. The river of death has brimmed his banks, and England's power and honour are named. But the voice of a schoolboy rallies the ranks. Play up, play up, and play the game. This is the word that year by year, while in her place the school is set, every one of her sons must hear, and none that hears it dare forget. This day all with a joyful mind, bear through life like a torch in flame, and falling, fling to the host behind, play up, play up, and play the game.
0: I was going to sort of talk a little bit about my experience, um, but I think it will be a lot more interesting to hear from Fiona at this point, who has recorded something for us, and we could um, hear about her experiences, because she's got a really very positive experience of of her life at uh, public school.
4: Here are some of my observations about public school. I was the daughter of a diplomat and a working actress. I began school at the age of four in Japan. I began kindergarten or mixed infants for the fourth time in Orléans, France. In between, I'd attended schools in Kent, England and Falls Church just outside Washington, D.C. And yes, I studied in Japanese, English, American English and French. By the time I was headed towards secondary school, I'd attended, I believe, at a rough count, 11 or 12 schools. So my parents decided that boarding school was the best option for both my younger brother and myself. Through my brother and a couple of past boyfriends and an ex-husband, I've heard tales of a number of boys' schools. But I can only really speak about my own school and my experience. Brampton Down School for Girls in Folkestone where I attended from 1965 to 1970 before going for my last 18 months of school to the girls' grammar school in Dover. Brampton Down was an unusual school in that it wasn't elitist. It was founded in the 1880s and then taken over in the 1930s by two women, one of whom Lady Hosey, who was already well known for her work educating girls in China. In my time, there were two headmistresses, Miss Sinclair, Miss Sinclair who had been educated in Cambridge and Miss Holmes who was educated at Oxford. Being educated by a bevy of blue stockings was enormously useful. We were always, always given the impression, nay, told, that the only barrier to our success was our own attitude. That as women in this or any age, we could be anything we bloody well wanted to be. And bear in mind, I'm speaking here of the mid-1960s. No man had better stand in our way. And no man did. Actually, we hardly ever saw men, except for the once-a-term dances when we were matched up against young boys from the Duke of York's Academy. Afterwards, Miss Holmes would mutter about what a weak example of humanity they were. We always call Brampton Down B.D., and I'll refer to it as that. Actually, in the town, we were called the B.D. Bombers, as it was said that whenever we marched down the streets of Folkestone, we looked like a squadron of Spitfires preparing the attack. I remember a mother asking Miss Holmes why we didn't learn sewing or cookery at school. Miss Holmes looked at the mother aghast and said, but our ladies won't have time for dull domesticity, surely? They're destined for careers, dear, not skivvying. At BD, we were told we could embrace any career we chose, as long as we had a modicum of talent and the discipline to do it. And actually, most of the women did achieve great things. In comparison, when I was sent to the girls' grammar school, I was told that my choices were to become either a secretary or a teacher and not to get ideas above myself. The food at BD was appalling, as it was in all public schools. Now, this is purely anecdotal, but my late father-in-law Cecil used to tell a story about his good friend James Clavel, who suffered for many years at a Japanese prisoner of war camp in Singapore. Cecil always claimed that Clavel, when asked about his suffering in the camp, used to mutter that his school had taught him how to endure and that the food, although far less plentiful in the POW camp, was marginally better than it was at his school. I don't know about that, but I know I still can't stomach runny eggs, because the eggs at school were always, always revolting. But school did teach me fortitude. It taught me not to fuss. And because it was a public school, the teachers were more interested in educating us for the world rather than to any tests. Many a morning, Miss Holmes would send a note to one or other teacher, excusing one or two of us as she thought it more important for us to discuss that day's news. And we were given a number of newspapers, including The Guardian and The Times, to read each day. I remember discussing the sorrow we all felt at the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And we discussed the possible consequences of the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. And then there was the diversity. I went to school with and lived cheek by jowl with girls from all over the world. In my year, girls from Turkey, Iran, Greece, France, Cyprus, Sierra Leone, Jamaica, Italy, Hong Kong, and my friend was Chinese from Hong Kong, not English, Nigeria, Tanzania, India, Pakistan, Germany, Belgium. When you live, sleep near, dress with, wash, and brush your teeth next to other girls of differing colors and faiths and nationalities, it educates you more than a thousand lectures could do. I shared a dorm room with Jews, Hindus, Muslims, Christians of all denominations, and Buddhists. My two closest friends were from Sierra Leone and Cyprus. As a young girl in primary schools, I was largely teased and I was sometimes bullied. I was always the foreigner or the stranger, but at public school, I was just like everybody else. When I was 15, my parents decided to buy a house in Kent and move me from BD to do my last 18 months at the local state school. Once again, I failed to fit in and I was sometimes bullied except that by then, my boarding school had given me the confidence to stand up for myself. Yeah, there are many things wrong with public schools. I detest elitism, and when I listen to the bleatings of men like Jacob Rees-Mogg, I'm disheartened. My school taught me to stand up for myself and expect to be treated just as well as any of the boys. And that served me well. Now, I'm not enormously successful, but I have spent most of my adult life working in all-male enclaves, and it's never bothered me. In fact, when I went to agricultural college with mostly men, I stood up for the rights of women at the college, and I was able to hold my own and quietly insist on those things that were my due. I went to college on a scholarship, and when I discovered that another student on the same scholarship was given extra funding because he had a wife. I applied and got the same funding as I had children, and I had to have a full-time nanny. I know that boys' schools can be unkind. My ex-husband was certainly stunted in his emotional growth by his experiences at public school, but my school was kind. The girls took care of each other. There were quiet social chains of care where older girls looked after younger, checked on, younger, comforted, younger. My first bra was bought for me by an older girl on my chain of care and I spent many an evening cuddling, reading to and tucking in a younger girl on that same chain. My first miserable homesick nights at school, I was comforted by a girl called Mary Edwards. She also encouraged me on my first shocked mornings of running the half mile we all ran before breakfast. Mary is still a friend of mine and we still support each other. Yeah, there's a lot that's faulty with the public school system. One of the biggest faults of the system, I think, was that it made us all sound English no matter where we were from. We all left with this same dull, Southern English, BBC-received way of speaking, which is an enormous pity, I think, even if it has proved useful to me. Yep, there's a lot that is faulty with the public school system, but it isn't bad in the way that it has served women. And did it make England... Oh, I'm so bloody
0: So Fiona mentioned that there are some, some drawbacks about public schools. And uh, so, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the main problems with public schools is, of course, the fees. Um, and that ha- really has changed a lot since, you know, since I was at, at, at school in the sort of late 70s, early 80s. Um, I think my parents were paying about £6,000 per year then. Um, but my school now costs over £40,000 per year. Um, wow. Yeah. So my dad was a fairly senior civil servant and my mum was a, the author of children's books. And they just about managed to scrape together enough to send me and my brother and sister to private schools. But I don't think that people today with those sorts of jobs could afford to send three children to public school. mm. So I think this entrenches this elitism that you've been talking about, as it is only the mega-rich or people with trust funds, with private money, who can reasonably afford to send their children to this type of school. And foreigners, of course. Um, When I was at school, there were a couple of kids who were the sons of Nigerian princes. But now I think that a lot of students are the children of wealthy Chinese and Russians.
1: How do you think that will then affect... Uh, British society going forward, you know. Obviously, there is there is always talk on the left that they're going to ban private schools, yeah. and uh, there's too much vested uh, societal uh, interest in for that to happen anytime soon, short of a revolution. So let's just say that they're never going to be banned. Yeah. But if increasingly they're being their halls are being filled by, you know sons and daughters of chinese millionaires indian millionaires russian billionaires etc how will that affect our you know our military our judges our barristers our doctors going going forward because these are professions which are massively overrepresented by people who
0: went to public school well i mean hopefully we don't actually need people to go to public schools to be judges um and I I think it'd be quite a positive thing. 74% of judges went to, to public school, so. Yes, but I mean, a lot of them are probably well into their 50s and 60s. And hopefully the sort of younger generation, as they come through, we can have people who've come from a more varied background. I think judges is particularly important to have. A... I, hey, brother, brother, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. But the question is, not is it good or is it bad, right. but how will it change? Yes. Okay. yeah. Well, I mean, I think it will change, um, and although, I, do, I mean, I don't know what the sort of um, actual numbers are. I don't know whether the sort of percentage of people going to private schools is now lower um, than, than mm-hmm. it was, you know, back in the day. I, you know, I, it was always quoted as, um, I think, 5% of, the, of school children. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I, I don't know what the influence will be. I mean, in, it, to a certain extent, I think that the the, the Russian and the Chinese are um, subsidising these schools. Um, and I do know that quite a lot of kids that go to public school today have bursaries. Um, so they aren't paying the full whack, either because they've already got a sibling there or the parents went to the, that school. Um, and so the public schools can probably be a bit more generous with you know, the right type of people, I'm doing inverted commas for the listeners' benefit, um, they, they are still coming to the school and effectively their, their fees are being subsidized by the, the Chinese and the Russians. What then will happen to this kind of school post uh, the coronavirus is a, a question for future podcasts, because that will have an effect, because people, I don't think, will be sending their kids abroad so much. Mm. But you know, on the on the cost thing, I certainly couldn't dream of sending my own children to to that kind of school, even if I wanted to. Um, my daughter, of course, wouldn't be accepted to my school for the simple reason that she is a girl. Um, my mm-hmm. uh, school was an all boys school, and that's another thing. You know, that's uh, slightly questionable. Is that um, you know, a lot of these schools are all, all boys or all girls. Um, and, you know, we, we've heard from, from Fiona about her experiences, and obviously she went to all-girls to all schools, um, and mine was an all-boys school. I think, and, you know, you mentioned about the sort of Labour Party wanting to try and ban uh, public schools, and I think one of the, the, the propositions that they've, they've discussed is cutting the charitable status of public schools. Mm -hmm. so we know having heard how much these institutions cost it might come as something of a surprise to hear that they are considered charities and so they have charitable status which means that they are tax exempt um and i think removing this charitable status was one of the many things that jeremy corbyn included in his recent disastrous election campaign manifesto sadly Mm -hmm. um And it is something that I essentially agree uh, with, as it does seem very strange indeed. The public schools argue that they do provide charitable actions, but these amount to little more than allowing local villagers to use the swimming pool or to grant bursaries, like we mentioned, with reduced fees for some students. But I often get letters from my school detailing how I could donate money to the school and then write off this donation against my tax bill. Um, I had a phone call from a very bouncy plummy kid not long ago, telling me all about this. And they were raising money to build a new concert hall at the school. And there is already a perfectly good concert hall. <laughs> um, so, which was, you know, that and the the concert hall that exists was open to great fanfare when I was there. And he told me that over fifty percent have donated to the fund. Um, I told him I was one of the other fifty percent, and if I did have any spare pennies, I'd rather give them. <laughs> I'd rather give them to Oxfam or Amnesty International. Thank you very much, and hung up. Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, just whilst we're here, yep. um, so why do you have, considering that you've gone through the system, Luke? Why personally do you have such a negative view of public schools? Um, let's put cost to one side. And I know you said whether you wanted to send your daughter there or not, your son or your 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 daughter there or not. Uh, But you're kind of down on the institution and you're you're somebody who went through it. So um, please explain why.
0: Yes. I mean, it's nothing against them, you know, per se. I had a perfectly good time. I had a lot of my... Very, very best friends uh, went to public school. I've got a lot of friends who went to Eton. So I've got nothing you know, against, it wasn't because I had some sort of you know, terrible time and you know, suffered a lot when I was there. It, it's just, I genuinely think that um, education should be free. Um, and I think that it, you know, it's, it's not good for a society as a whole, um, where children are separated off in this way just based on on money, um, and I, you know, and I I I don't think that it'd be great if they weren't necessary and people didn't feel the need for them, um, because I think you know it's it's a shame to to divide up society like this, and it then and it does carry through. and Having you know been to a public school but not really having sort of taken advantage of it, it, it does slightly irk me when people will sort of. Uh, pigeonhole me a bit because oh he's a public school boy um and you know I've had that quite a lot and it's obviously <laughs> it's not a massive burden to carry in life uh, it could be a lot harder but uh, you know it's just it's one of those things that's uh, slightly annoying when it's like well oh, I'm a public school boy but I'm not really um and or you know there's not something that uh, you know having spent five years at one institution many many years ago I don't think should define you forever and i think that you know that in general the society would be better if we weren't all defined by this one thing that happened to you at one point in your life but it does but but one of the
1: one of the benefits of going to a public school is to have that informal network for the rest of your life isn't it yeah that's one of the key things
0: and people definitely take advantage of it it's um and you know, I don't think I have particularly. Um, as I say, a lot, you know, a lot of my friends went to public school, and they're obviously fantastic. Um, but yes, it, it's that network is definitely something I would say that parents are looking for when they they send their children there. They know that it's a, it is a very good, um, you know, it's a great advantage in life to be able to pull on that network of people that you went to school with and stay in touch. And and you know, it's it's very much promoted where. Again, I don't do it, but I'm invited to to go to sort of schools days and talk about what my career is, and not that anyone would want to do it. But um, and that they, you know, that I could help that old boys network, the old school tie network, and all that mm. stuff. Um, but yes, I, and again, you see, I think that that's that's slightly pernicious to society. I think that you know, if people could you know, rise up through their own merits, it would do us a lot more good. Mm, well, you're not going to have me disagree. <laughs> <you>? So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> But again, you know, it's, uh, I mentioned my republicanism and it's, it's not very deep-seated, but it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things, it's like banning the monarchy. I don't think that, I can't imagine being in a situation where we that's the thing that we should be focusing on uh, as a country. I think, you know, neither public schools nor the monarchy are that bad. Um, that we we have got the sort of headspace to be able to actually push through banning them because you'd have to reform the whole educational system to such a level. And, and, you know, as I say, I think the best thing to do is to sort of fund state education properly um, so that um, Mm -hmm. state education is so excellent, people aren't going to spend their money on uh, public schools. Again, uh,
1: m- my uh, socialist communist brother, I couldn't agree with <laughs> you more. So, again, you'll have no pushback from me with, with, that, with that statement. For
0: the barricades,
1: eh? Um, no, yeah. Absolutely.
0: And so, yes, there, just to sum up a little bit, I would uh, just want to make the point that public schools have had very massive influence on the life of England. Um, I think that you know we've looked at the, their influence on political life, on literature, on popular culture on sport um, and you know I think we've discussed some of the pros and cons that that um, public schools have on society but in my opinion they have a massive society and that's why I commend them to the cabinet of things that made England and today for our Facebook roundup we have a very special treat from a voice that I am sure you will all be delighted to hear from
3: Hello, everybody. Unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, here I am proudly playing a supporting role in summing up the comments to the last episode of The Things That Made England. Clearly, I could not have taken part anyway in the discussion of youth culture, since, having been born at the age of 50, youth culture and I are on a barely nodding acquaintance. Unlike you lot, clearly... We kicked off with a very erudite contribution from Steve, I thought, making the point that the light-fingered English youth half-inched American stuff turned it Englishy and exported it right back. But the crowning achievement of Steve's post was that in discussing how Led Zepp managed to transform muddy waters, he managed not to ramble on. Classic. Stephen then broke the cardinal rule of not arguing with Royfield when he handed the world youth culture crown to the hippies. Royfield had argued that youth culture was uniquely English, which I think must be a little dodgy argument-wise, mustn't it? After all, even Mahler and Shostakovich must have been young ones. They must have hung around shopping precincts and wolf-whistled old ladies. Or I may be missing the point. However the mensch of American youth culture started something of a bun fight, though a polite bun fight, with Lonnie, Ken and Tyrant. I have to report, as Ken went on his morning constitutional, listening to the podcast, he said, Ha! several times, and, gentle listeners, the word scoff was used. Their point was that youth culture in the US deeply affected the same in England. Royfield held his ground, arguing that the competing and constantly changing youth scene was uniquely English. I don't think either Ken or Lonnie ever quite agreed, but they gracefully retired from the field. And of course, if Royfield says it, well, it must be true, mustn't it? And I'm clearly not alone in so thinking, since about 75% of you lot voted for the youth of England to go into the Cabinet, where I think they should stay until they've eaten their greens. Stuart, meanwhile, described the punks he saw as a lad as beautiful. Never has the word been applied to any punk in Loughborough, I have to tell you. Along the way, Lonnie mentioned some films. He mentioned My Beautiful Laundrette, which, to my undying shame, I have meant to watch for 20 years and never seen, which I shall put right this instant. And then Eric mentioned Quadrophenia. Can you believe I've never seen that either? Also, now firmly on the list... I have a lot of film watching to do before the next episode, which I think is on public schools.
0: And I shall see you all there. Thank you very much, David. It was uh, lovely to hear from you. And you very modestly didn't mention that um, that maybe apart from Ben's tea posts, it was actually your jam sandwich post that created uh, most traffic on our Facebook group over the last couple of weeks.